0: I have a message to share with you today, uh, but I want to start with talking about last week a little bit. I had a kind of a strange experience last week during both services, really, uh, during our worship time. And it was hard for me to put it into words. um, And I didn't really have understanding into it until uh, after the service uh, was over. And there was this strange experience where I felt like the Lord was moving in a powerful way. Uh, I was certainly experiencing that myself up here because I was helping lead worship last week. Um, but I felt like there was some conflict. Like like um, the Lord was pouring out, moving in a, in a strong way, but a lot of people weren't receiving. A lot of people weren't even aware. Of what God was doing in the room, like the Lord was like, I'm here, I'm pouring out, and and like there was a lot of people not receiving, is what it felt like, I guess, in that moment. And so, as a worship leader and as a pastor, um, you know, even when I went to transition to my sermon, I was I was struggling to discern, like, Lord, what do you want to do? Because I felt like He was here so powerfully, like I just wanted to wait on Him and let the Holy Spirit minister to people, right? But then if people aren't aware of that, if they're not receiving that, um, then it's like the, the Lord's pouring out rain, and it just runs off the hard ground, right? And so I was struggling to discern, do we just move on? Do I wait on you? And uh, it was just a weird experience. I didn't have clarity into it, uh, in the moment even. And after our first service, uh, a, a lady, a good friend of mine, Tasha Bailey, on our leadership team... Um, she, I could see from her face, she was sitting up here in front row, and she was glowing, you know. One of those faces that like, wow, church is amazing today, you know. And I, was, I walked down, I was like, hey. And she goes, man, I had this crazy experience during worship. She said, I had this vision as we were worshiping. This was first service. She said, I looked up, and I saw like this large, it looked like a giant blue balloon. And it was like it was full of this blue water, which, of course, if you're a prophetic person, that's symbolic of the Holy Spirit, right? And she said it was so big, it was about to bust. And she was saying this very joyfully, like this was God's heart. This was what he was wanting to do. And she said, but it wasn't going to burst yet because the Lord was saying that too many people had their umbrellas out. And if it were to burst right now, it would not be received. She said this statement verbatim. She said, we need to pray that people put the umbrellas down. And I just thought, that's weird. (laughs) Okay, all right. And I still didn't have clarity like, is that what I was experiencing? How does that relate to what I just experienced, you know? So we do second service last week. I had almost the same exact experience. It was very strange. And, uh, you know, get done with second service. Preach my sermon. I, I, this, I mean, I felt the Lord so powerfully. I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach. I think I just, what I wanted to do was lay on my face and worship and, and pray and intercede. That's what that does to me when you, when I'm feel the Lord that strongly. Like, I don't even want to sing anymore. I don't want to play the guitar. I want to lay on my face in stillness and just be in his presence and then maybe start interceding for people who don't know him, right? I was having that experience second service and I was like, man, what is going on? Get done with second service and this lady was sitting back there. She comes up and she goes, Pastor, I have to tell you, I had this amazing, she had this glow. She's like, it was amazing. She's like, this service was amazing and during worship, I looked up and I saw what looked to be like this blue water that was just flowing down on me and she said, it's, it was a blue that I can't even describe the, the color of blue. It was a heavenly blue. And it's like it was pouring into me, into every cell of my body. And she said, I looked over at my family, and it was pouring over and on my daughter. It was amazing. She said, I looked up. It was it was flowing down on the worship team, and, and it was falling in the room. She said, but as I looked across the room, I saw in the Spirit that not everyone was receiving or even aware that this was happening because people had umbrellas out. And she said this verbatim, we need to pray that people put their umbrellas down. Two different ladies did not talk to each other. When she told me this, I looked over and Tasha was still sitting because she stayed for second service and was still sitting around. And I just said, you need to go tell her that to encourage her, but you both basically saw and are hearing and experiencing the same thing. Now, church... This is an example of the prophetic. The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians, do not treat prophecies with contempt, right? We'll have dreams and visions. Visions can be open visions. You see things in reality in the spirit, right, while you're awake. They can be, visions can be like mental pictures, like you're not seeing it in reality, but you're, it's more of a mental picture, This is an example of these two ladies had a vision. I I honestly didn't ask because I don't care at this point, whether it was an open vision in reality or in their mind's eye, a mental picture, because the Lord was confirming this is what I'm doing and they are seeing correctly. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. And so this was a confirmation. God is saying, this is what I'm doing. And as I prayed into it later, I thought that is what I was experiencing. I was experiencing the Lord is here in a very powerful way, and those who are in tune with that and are tuning into that and are opening up their hearts are receiving a whole, whole lot from him today. But apparently there was a whole lot of people that were not receiving because they had their umbrellas out, had their umbrellas out. And so I want to take a minute before we dive into the message. Apparently we need to pray that people put their umbrellas down, okay? Okay. So can we just pray for that right now? And uh, I don't even know what your umbrella is. And I'll just say this. You know, in America, we view rain, literal rain, as not a good thing. We all want sunny with a high of 75, no humidity every single day. California, right? Except California has that, and they're dying for rain. They're like, please rain. Please rain. I went to Africa Uh, several years ago and I was in Uganda and it started raining while I was there and everybody got excited and they said, and I was at the home of a pastor while it was raining and he said, ah, this is a sign. Rain is a sign of great blessing in Africa because they live off the land. It's still an agricultural society. Rain is a blessing and only in an affluent society where we have so many comforts of the modern world, would we view rain as an inconvenience or something that is not a blessing? And so God wants to rain on you. He wants to pour out his Holy Spirit. He wants it to be a downpour, more than you can handle, more than you can handle. You ever hear people say, God will never give you more than you can handle? That's not in the Bible. Paul says in Corinthians that we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired at life itself. But this happened so that we wouldn't depend on ourselves, but on God, who even raises the dead. God will give you, he'll allow you to experience more than you can handle in the negative through suffering so that you learn to depend on him. And this is the season we're coming into. He will pour out more of his goodness, more of his spirit, more of blessings than you can handle. So that you overflow. So that what God's doing in and through you, you can't shut up about it and you just spill out onto other people. And he starts to rain on other people through the overflow of what he's doing in you. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's preparing us for. And so what God is really saying, I guess I'll say it this way. Um, A few weeks ago, we, we heard a message about doing what Jesus said to do. Last week, I talked about understanding the times and the times that we are in. And I talked about Asbury is a sign. This is what God is doing. It's time. It is time for revival. God is about to pour out his spirit in a mighty way. Everything that... People have been praying for for many years, especially at a heightened level for the last three years. And we are very near, right at the door. And the Lord is having me preach this message to you today to get you ready so that when he pours out, you don't have an umbrella up and totally miss it. Okay? So, let's pray. God, I pray right now that people will put their umbrellas down. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I was like, is there more of that? No, he said to pray that, so we're praying it. And as I preach the message today, if you become aware of what your umbrella is, he's inviting you to surrender it, give it up, lay it down. Maybe take it home with you today, put it in a closet, and leave it there, and come back next week without your umbrella and watch what he will do. Amen? Amen. Jesus said in, or actually the Bible says in John chapter 1 Jesus came to that which is his own but his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. God became flesh, showed up on this earth, And when he began to preach, when he began to minister, when he began to pour out, when he began to rain, there were people, his own people. They didn't understand the times they were living in. It was the time of his coming, the time of his arrival, the time of his outpouring. And so they didn't receive him. They had an umbrella out. Last week we talked about the sons of Ishakar in the Old Testament who the Bible describes in First 1 Chronicles 12.32. They were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. So not just knowing what the Bible says, but knowing when it's the right season for, for what God is saying in that season. And we talked about that last week. Because God will tell you to wait and he'll tell you to act. He'll tell you to just pray and then he'll tell you to do something, right? So you have to know what he's doing in a given season. And so we talked about understanding the times last week. And we talked about lessons from Asbury as, as a sign of what God is doing in this season. And so I want to talk to you today about understanding the times. And it's, it's time for revival. That's the conclusion we came to last week. And I want to look at lessons from Acts chapter 2. Because Acts chapter 2 is when it's the original revival, which you would just call the arrival. (laughs) The arrival of the fullness of what Jesus purchased on the cross. What God had been trying to do since Genesis chapter 3. Not only redeem humankind, but now dwell among his people. You read the Old Testament, there's a theme. I will dwell among my people. I will dwell among my people. I'll be with them again. And the miracle of Jesus is he's not only with us, among us, but he lives inside of us. And that is just an amazing, beautiful mystery of learning how uh, to walk with God who lives within you. And so I want to talk about responding to revival. In other words, it's time for revival. It's time for arrival of Holy Spirit to pour out in a mighty way. And so how do you respond when he shows up? That's what I want to talk about. And when I say it's time, I was praying into this uh, this week. It's very near right at the door. It's kind of like when your wife, if you, if, you're, if you have ever had children, when your wife's like 38 weeks pregnant. They call that full term. Now, full, full term, the end is, is 40 weeks. But starting around 38 weeks, they say you're full term and you could go at any moment. She could go. That balloon could burst at any moment and the amniotic fluid of life could come flowing out and then it's time for that baby to get born. Amen. Amen. Sorry for that super graphic illustration. (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. And so this today is the Lord's grace. And the Lord's preparing us. Because he's going to pour out very soon in a mighty way. And he doesn't want you to miss it. He wants you to participate in it. To be able to receive. So let's look at responding to revival. Lessons from Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. First lesson. Get ready. That first song we sang, we're getting ready, we're getting ready, we're getting ready for you, for you. You know, we're getting ready. We're getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But I'm telling you, God is preparing us for a special move of his Holy Spirit in our church and in our midst. And it's not, it's not just our church. Um, it's just something he's doing across the world. Revival is breaking out across the world right now. Many different countries, uh, Uganda, um, Nicaragua. There's several countries that are what we just experienced with Asbury in America. They're experiencing that on an even wider scale in their countries right now on the earth. It's time for revival, I'm telling you. So we need to get ready. They were prepared by coming together every day until God poured out what he had been promising. So that, how did they prepare? They were gathered together. They had devoted themselves to prayer To gathering together with other believers. To the teachings of Jesus. fellowshipping, Breaking bread together. Praying together. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like the end of the chapter, doesn't it? But that's what they were doing. And that's why I'm going to come back to this one. Because what prepares us for revival is what sustains it. What prepares us for revival is what sustains it. And so I would want to encourage you. There's this umbrella that the enemy will tempt to hand you, and you're going to be tempted to take it, and it's an it's a umbrella of complacency. It's an umbrella of, oh, I just don't feel like going to church today. I'm just going to sleep in. And what if that's the day he shows up and pours out? And then you're like, oh, I'm missing, oh, you know, I wasn't there. What if that was the day he was going to take your sickness from you? What if that was the day he was going to set you free fully? From your depression and your anxiety. And you just thought, well, I'll just sleep in. You see what I'm saying? And so the enemy's going to tempt you with complacency. And God wants you to lay it down. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to get ready. So the first lesson is to get ready. What prepare, how do we get ready? What prepares us is what sustains us. So we'll talk about it towards the end. Number two. Verse two, sorry. It suddenly. Hmm. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now this is open vision we're talking. They literally saw flames of fire that separated and and they were like, what is happening? And they were hearing the supernatural sound of the wind of God, the spirit of God. So supernatural sound, supernatural vision, and something is happening. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, Jesus said in the previous chapter, in a few days, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. We call this being baptized. The word baptize in Greek, it literally just means immerse. You're going to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit, the way you would be fully immersed in this water if you got up here and did a cannonball in it. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had it raining, like, but it's, like mist, it's almost like a misting? Or maybe, and, and listen, my brothers out here, those of us who don't, Jesus knows the number of hair on our heads, and it's zero, right? We're like your, we're the canary in the coal mine when it starts raining. Like, Do you feel that? You know? All y'all with hair and hats on, you're just like, what, what? And we're like, oh, no, no. It's coming, all right? It's raining. You ever been outside and it starts to rain? And you're like, is it? Is it raining? That's not immersed. That's like a little sprinkle. Some of you have been sprinkled with the Holy Spirit. And you're like, oh, that was kind of (laughs) nice. Church was kind of nice today. (laughs) So if you were to come up and do a cannonball into this, lay down in this, are you going to know that water is on you. Yeah. Full immersion is different. So Jesus had said in a few days you're going to be baptized, you're going to be fully immersed, baptized in the holy spirit of God. It says they were all filled with the holy spirit. Scripture uses synonymous terms, baptized, filled, anointed, empowered, These are synonymous terms of the same experience when you're filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why? Because this was one of the festivals of God that was written about in the Old Testament. The Pentecost festival or the... Uh, feast of Weeks, they were to count off seven weeks from what we call Easter Passover, and then they would celebrate this festival, and they were to come to Jerusalem. That was what God commanded. So they were there. It says, when they heard the sound, notice everyone heard the sound. You know, they say of Azusa Street, the great revival in 1906 in L.A., There was at one point the fire department showed up to put out the fire because the reports were that we see this building and it's on fire and they got there and the building was not on fire at all. Moving on. Guys act like you don't know what I'm talking about. All right. You're about to find out. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. The, the crowd heard the supernatural sound of God's outpouring. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. And that was interesting to them. This was unusual. Utterly amazed. Most of these people were bi or trilingual. So they were used to hearing the Hebrew and having to translate and, in their own minds, right? But now they're hearing their own you know, heart languages. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Which, by the way, short teaching on tongues. This is where some people get confused. There's different types of tongues. This was actual known languages on the earth, and they recognized them. Now, which maybe, actually, maybe, because this could have been a miracle of supernatural interpretation as well. So they could have actually been speaking in a prayer language, heavenly language, and they could, it could have just been a supernatural uh, translation. Um, it, I've been in a few prayer circles where someone's praying in tongues, and all of a sudden I start hearing it in English, and I go, and I say the words, and everybody's nodding. And then later I go, they spoke in English, right? And other people were like, no, they were praying in tongues the whole time. I was like, they didn't say one word in English? No, I heard it in explicit English. And I know many other people that have experienced that. Um, there, I know a guy, too, who goes here. Um, and his father-in-law, I believe, is a Pentecostal pastor, modern day. And he goes to this church in Boston. I've told this story before. And it's a Hispanic church. And he always has an, an interpreter because they're, you know, they're bilingual. But Hispanics their main language. And they have trouble understanding English. And he got there. This was just a few years ago. And he got there to preach. And the interpreter was not there that day. So he's like, oh, well, I'm just going to preach in English preaches his whole sermon in English, and he gets done and goes down, and one of the people said, Pastor, we didn't know that you spoke Spanish. You always use an interpreter. And he's like, I don't speak Spanish. Like, well, your whole sermon was in perfect Spanish today. And the whole church heard it in perfect Spanish. That's not tongues. That's supernatural interpretation. So anyways, the point is, there's prayer language tongues, which is heavenly language, if I speak in tongues of men or angels, Paul says, right? Um, This is like your personal prayer language type of tongues. Then there's also known languages on the earth and God does both. It's a both and. We get into trouble when we read scripture and we go, it's gotta be either or. And then we make whole denominations and divide over the either or. Except what if God's like, no, I do it all. I'm a full-service, tongue-talking God, <laughs> all right? All right, uh, moving on. Whew. So, we're, I don't even know what verse we were on. Thank you. Verse 9. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and Parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Why is it listing this out? It says they all heard their own languages being spoken. Man, I'm leaning towards supernatural interpretation. There were only 12 guys, or 11 guys, sorry. Anyways, or 120, depending what you're talking about. Anyways, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, or again, languages, Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? The word amazed there means amazed, in awe, like, wow, this is amazing. Perplexed means I am utterly confused and this is weird. Everybody was amazed and totally confused. (laughs) They asked one another, that's a really important question. What does this? This mean. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now, when Peter preaches, it says 3,000 people get saved. Do you think there were only 3,000 people in that crowd that gathered and 100% got saved that day? No, it's very reasonable to assume there were many more than that. And 3,000 heard the message, received it, and got saved. And I would like to propose to you that there were many more who did not receive the message because they had an umbrella up, because they were making fun of what Jesus, the Holy Spirit, was actually doing. Now, these were religious people, these were people who knew Scripture. They're there in Jerusalem to celebrate the religious festival but the religious people who supposedly knew God the best were making fun of what God was actually doing. So next lesson. (laughs) Don't be offended by how God moves or who he uses. If you get offended by the method God is using, offense is an umbrella. Jumping to conclusions is an umbrella. I'm just remembering a meme I saw this week, and it's like, uh, you know, don't jump to conclusions. And it said, immature Christians. And it was like a gymnast doing this tumbling routine, and it lasted like a 45 seconds. And they did this big tumbling thing, and landed, and it was like, yes! And that's what so much of the church does whenever they see something unusual. And I talked about last week, pastors and leaders criticizing Asbury Criticizing people worshiping God, criticizing people repenting, people coming to faith, the Spirit pouring out. Criticizing. Why? That's unusual. If if you see something unusual happen and your first thing is to jump to criticism or I'm not trusting that, that's usually not the best thing to jump to. The best thing to jump to is what does this mean? I'm going to, I'm sit back and watch this. You know, if somebody we're in worship in our church and somebody shrieks out, ah! <laughs> it happens. I think it happened this morning. <laughs> there are some pastors in churches who go, What was that? We don't do that here. Shut them up. I need to talk to them afterwards. You know what I do? Hmm. What does this mean? What does this mean? Either they're so pumped and excited about what Jesus is doing, they just can't take it, and they're yelling, which happens. I do frequently in worship. It's, it's one of my—I was joking with our worship team. We were doing that song a few weeks ago. Uh, one of our worship leaders was like, can we do the song, Awake My Soul, which has got the bridge where it's like, hey, ho, oh, you know? And I was like, yes, because I get to yell, hey ho, at God, which is my favorite thing to do. And I was joking, but I really was. It really is my favorite thing to do in worship is to just scream. I'm a screamer, all right? And, uh, and one of them's like, shout of praise. And I was like, oh, I wasn't even thinking. Total shout of praise thing. So when I experience that, when I see people do that, I go, what does this mean? Are they overjoyed? They just can't take it? Is it grief and lament, which I've seen, which needs to be released? It's actually a good thing when that comes out. Or is it demonic? And if it's demonic, you realize that person is not, the vast, vast majority of the time, that person's not like, I'm going to interrupt. I'm a witch, and I came here to ruin this church. I'm going to interrupt this service. When people got demons and people come into the presence of God, the people want freedom. The people want help. That's why the demonized came to Jesus so often. Help me. I got this pro- I got this parasite on me and I don't want it. Please help me. And then they get in the presence of God and the demon can't take it and because it has some authority in their life, it takes over and it goes bah! Why? Because it's being tortured in the presence of Jesus. And it's a good thing. And according to the ministry of Jesus, they tend to scream when they come out. Because they don't like it. They don't want to come out. They want to stay in. So, it's probably one of those three things. And all of those three things are good. Isn't that interesting? Jesus in his public ministry had people fall down and scream as demons were coming out. And yet... The American church, if that were to happen, a lot of pastors would be like, why did this happen? I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You find out later and say, hey, can you just please not do that anymore? Hey, can you just not come to church anymore? Hey, I know we're supposed to be a hospital, but don't come to the hospital and scream. That's crazy. And so when God's pouring out, and by the way, when he does pour out, I guess God's preparing his church. Like I said, um, when, when the Holy Spirit pours out, You have people crying for joy. You have people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you also have people with issues, with demonic issues. And the demons are freaking out. And the people are like, come on, help me. And it gets a little messy. And both of those things happen when the Holy Spirit pours out in a mighty way. Okay? And so, let's not be offended by what God is doing. As if being quiet and orderly is the number one priority. Well, God's a God of order. 1 Corinthians 14. Yes, he is. Praise God. He is a God of order. But he's not. Well, I guess part of the service order might include, and now's the time when the spirit pours out and it gets a little messy. God's a God of order. He established how people come into being. There's a pregnancy, and that baby grows, and it might be kind of quiet. I don't know. If you have a good pregnancy, smooth sailing, all right. Then comes time for the birth. And you know, the birth is a little loud, a little chaotic, and a little messy. And when that baby comes out, they cry. Right? They smack them. They, right? They used to. They would get sued in our day, so they don't do that anymore. But they want that baby to cry, right? The cries are the sounds of life. All right. So don't be offended by how God moves or who He uses. When you're not sure what's happening, wait and discern. What does this mean? Look for discernment. Ask the Lord Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Ask questions. Ask the pastor. Ask the person standing next to you. I do this all the time. I don't have it all figured out. I pray, ask God, and then I go, hey, what are you thinking about this? What do you think God's doing here? And God will confirm what he's doing through many witnesses. Amen? There's an old guy, uh, Smith Wigglesworth was a, a very empowered man of God in England in the I think late 1800s, early 1900s. And there's a a story of his one time uh, he was preaching and he was, uh, you know, just doing like a a service. And this man, he was big on healing and and everything else. But uh, this man stood up and yelled and, and interrupted the service and criticized him and said, this man is a liar. I came to this meeting the other day and he prayed for me and he said I was healed and I'm not healed. And Wigglesworth gave it right back to him and said, you are healed. You just haven't believed it yet. And the man like stormed out of the meeting and he was ticked off. This man was a bricklayer. He had severe pain in his knees, his hips, his his back. And the next day he was out laying brick. And as he was getting up and bending down, he started to notice, oh, I don't really have the pain I had in my knees or my hips or my back. And he ended up realizing he was totally healed. And he ended up coming back to the meetings that they were having and repenting and admitting I was wrong. So Wigglesworth prayed over him and said, You're healed. God healed you. And it didn't happen for a day. And the guy yelled at him and said, This man's a liar. Ticked off. He said, You are healed. You haven't believed it yet. He goes out. Next day, the guy's healed. What does this mean? What does this mean? You know, Jesus, read and study the healings of Jesus. Some were immediate. Not all. The ten lepers, go wash, and you'll be healed. Go show yourself to the priest, right? And they were healed on the way. So what if they got offended and didn't do what he said? Right? And then, oh, he's a liar. He said I'd be healed. I wasn't healed. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't be offended by how God's moving or by who he's using. So much of the church in our culture gets offended over the ways that God has chosen to move. And a lot of those ways, and I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm talking the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when God, when the Holy Spirit pours out in power, you see a lot of strange things. But those strange things are very, very, very good things. Amen? And so much of our modern American church gets offended by that because it's supernatural and it offends our atheism, our secular humanism. That we it's a syncretism that we mix with our Christianity. And if you want to participate in what God's doing and receive all that He has for you, which includes but is not limited to salvation, the forgiveness of all sin and going to heaven. Of course we all talk about that. Everybody's got that down. But what about healing in your body? What about healing of your mind? What about healing of your emotions? What about freedom from depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts? Full freedom from alcoholism and drug use and abuse to the point where you don't even desire it. You you hate it. You don't even want it anymore. Jesus holds all these things out, makes them available to you. What about empowerment to go share your faith and be his witness in a very powerful way? the boldness and the courage and the inspiration and the want to, like you want to. You don't fear it. You don't go, oh, I better do this, but oh, I don't want. No, you're like, oh, I can't wait to share it. For, for a lot of you, that, this would be a totally different way of living. And the reason you've never experienced it is because you've got an umbrella and you just want to read your Bible under the umbrella. And you want God to do all those things. And he's like, I don't do all those things from simply knowing what it says. I do a lot of those things when you put the umbrella down and you let my Holy Spirit in a supernatural, very real way show you and demonstrate to you what this book is talking about. And then you go, whoa, and it totally changes you. And you start to experience all those things I just said. Is God good? So if God chooses to use prophecy... Prophetic words, words of knowledge, is it good? Yes. If he chooses to use speaking in tongues, is it good? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, but I just think when you do it, the new people and the American people and the American, see, they don't like it. See, see what I'm saying? They might leave and see and see and see and see. I think you should take that up with God because he's the one that does it. And so we can't be offended. We can't ask God to pour out the Holy Spirit and be offended by it when he does it. And so he's wanting us to get ready and to open ourselves up to what he's doing. And to say, all right, God, (laughs) you can do whatever you want. Like we've done prayer days, impartation days, lay hands, ask for spiritual gifts for Holy Spirit. You know, and, and I, I've been in this place in the, in the distant past, but it's like, okay, God, give me all you got, but not tongues. Come on, God, I want, I, I want it all, but I don't want to be weird. Come on, Lord. <laughs> and he's up there going, man, if you were to be the empowered person that, that I want you to be, you, you would be weird. And people would hate you for sharing your faith and hate you for how bold you are. Because your boldness convicts them on their lack of boldness. Because your passion and your, 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 your fire convicts them on their lukewarmness. You're going to be hated when you're filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be weird. But it's weird like light in the darkness is weird. And so... By the way, at Pentecost, Jesus didn't give them a heads up and say, hey, now when you're baptized, you're going to start speaking in different languages. All right? It's going to get kind of weird. He didn't give them a heads up. Peter quotes Joel 2 and says, this is what that is. This is what he's talking about. Nowhere in there does it say they're going to speak in different languages. There is one tiny little verse. I think it's in Isaiah that they'll speak in languages, strange tongues, right? Right? one little tiny bird, not connected to Joel 2 at all, which Peter's like, that's what's happening. Not connected to baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't give them a heads up. This is what's going to happen. But they knew it was him. And so they went, bring it. (laughs) And they didn't try to stop it when it was happening because it was weird and and it may have offended how they thought he might have done it. And so we need to lay down our umbrellas. We need to lay down our offense. There's an umbrella of offense we need to lay down. And it's really, what's holding that umbrella is not the spirit of God in you. It is the spirit of religion and tradition. A religious spirit that gets offended when it's not church as usual. All right. So we can't get offended by how God moves or who he uses or who he uses. And that goes both ways. And what I mean by that is sometimes God chooses to use a lay person, someone not gifted, not uh, qualified in ministry, not, not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ordained as a minister of Jesus. And there have been men of God who've shut down movements because they get offended that God's using someone who's not as qualified as they are. And I love a story Randy Clark tells when God began to pour out in their church way back in the 80s. And he was a pastor and and God started doing miracles, radical miracles of healing and deliverance. And he said there was this layman in his church, just a normal dude who came to church. And I can't remember the guy's occupation, but it was some kind of blue collar op- occupation, like construction worker or some, plumber or something like that. And he said, as the re- this revival in their church went on for weeks, he said, this guy, like, when he, Randy's like, when I pray for people, sometimes God would heal them. <laughs> this guy is like every time, radical miracles. And he, he started to be intimidated at the power that God was pouring out through this guy. And he, you know, was at home with his wife one day, and he was t- confessing this to her, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be the leader. Because God's using him. You know, spirit of jealousy can work both ways. It can make you prideful, and it can make you feel down in the dumps. So be on your guard when God starts moving. Because spirit of jealousy is one of the things God will use to try to stop the movement of God. He'll make you jealous, prideful. Like I don't think that's God, because I just don't trust them. Because they, I know their past, and I know they used to sleep around. I know that you. Mm-hmm, 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 that's not God. Mm-hmm, that ain't God. Mm-hmm. But He can also make you down in the dumps. Oh, I'll never be like "No, Oh, they just get every gift. Oh, I just suck. I've oh, asked God. He ain't pouring on me. You know what? It's probably not God because I've asked and he ain't pouring on me. And I think they're arrogant and I think they're prideful. Hmm. Spirit of jealousy. That's another umbrella that'll hold you back. Comparison. Wanting what other people have. Wanting the spiritual gift God gave someone else. These are umbrellas God's asking us to lay down today. To prepare for what he wants to do. And so anyways, Renée Clark said to his wife, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be the pastor. You know, maybe he should. And she said, honey, that's your calling. You're the leader. And she said, your job as a leader is not to do everything. It is to steward what God is doing. And so if God's using this guy, he's like the Michael Jordan, right? You're the coach. Put him in the game. Let God use him. Say, hey, let him pray for you and get everybody out of the way, right? That's your job if that's what God's doing. Don't be down in the dumps. And I've seen the opposite happen, especially in America. America is a low honor culture. So when we see leaders that God begins to use in a mighty way, we, we begin to, this, I think this is a British term, but we, we're like, oh, that, tall poppy syndrome. We need to cut that guy down. Who's he think he is? This is a democracy. This is America. We're all the same. He just thinks because he's a pastor and he got a degree in Bible, he's better than us. He's going to be the one to minister. He's going to be the one to pray. Oh, it's always him. Be really careful about that too. And if you want to know why I say that, just go read the story of Korah and Dotham and Abiram in the Old Testament. Who's this Moses guy? Aren't we all priests of the Lord? Aren't we all Levites? Can't God use us too? God's like, but I want to use him. And so the earth is going to open up and swallow you whole and close back over you. And so it works both ways. And just be on your guard against jealousy. And what does this mean? That's a really good question. Don't be offended by how God moves or who he chooses to use. Or else you'll be tempted to criticize what God is doing rather than participating with it. So next verse, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He starts to hear the... People are confused and he starts to hear criticism. He's like, oh wait, they don't, re- they weren't in the upper room. They weren't, they weren't with us before that when Jesus said in a few days. Peter has a context. Peter's sitting there going, this would probably be confusing to me too if Jesus had not just said to me, in a few days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And because I know this has been coming, and because I'm ready, I've prepared myself. I've been in an upper room with these 120 others, and we've been praying every single day for whatever this outpouring looks like to come, and we literally see with our eyes flames of fire. We hear the rushing wind. Boom. Man, when you pray in tongues, you know it's not you. And you're like, this is supernatural. God is real. Oh my goodness. And I know other people are going, I don't know, I think he's just speaking gibberish. I was watching a documentary with my kids, or it was a movie that was like a documentary, about called Thirteen Lives, about the kids who got stuck in the cave in Thailand. And so the a lot of the movies in Thai, because it's like true to life, and there it's subtitles, and there's some English in it. And we're listening to these guys speak Thai. And I'm just I just look at my kids, I'm like, man, if you didn't know this was a movie about thailand and if you just heard somebody next to you at walmart start talking like this wouldn't you think this was just gibberish i mean that's what it sounded like it was very a lot of asian languages are very pitched that's why they're good at music they train their ears through language different pitches can have a same word mean different things anyways it's pretty fascinating Americans pretty monotone. They think we talk... Mmm, mm, 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 mm. But man, I'm telling you. Just think it was gibberish if you didn't have the context of it's a movie, it's in Thai, it's Thai. They're speaking Thai. It's an Asian language, I guess. I don't know. And so Peter had a context. So when the weird stuff starts happening, he's like, this is God. This is God. I know what's happening. And so he begins to explain to them. He says, "Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say because I know God's moving in a powerful way and I don't want you to miss it. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning." So apparently it was so erratic and things were so crazy there for a little bit, they thought they were drunk. He says, no, that's not what's happening. It's only, we haven't even had time to get drunk. People don't drink in the morning. We're not, we haven't even been drinking, okay? No, verse 16. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, that these were people who are in Jerusalem for a religious festival. They would have known their Bible. They would have known Joel. They would have known what he's about to say. Remember Joel chapter 2? The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he goes out of that and he preaches a sermon about Jesus. And he talks about how Jesus is the Messiah because they were all waiting on the Messiah, the chosen one. And They knew that it was getting close, very near right at the door. When John the Baptist came, it says they all thought he was him. And John's like, no, he's coming after me. And then John said, It's Jesus, it's it's him, the Lamb. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Messiah. So they're all and, and Peter's like, That was the Messiah. And here's the hard part you killed him. You shouted, Crucify Him. You bought him with the world. You bought him with Pilate. And so they start to freak out a little bit. The Messiah came and we killed him. Oh no. So verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Next lesson. Allow Jesus to cut you. Allow Jesus to cut you. It says they were cut to the heart. Hosea 6 verse 1 The HCSB version says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. Why would God wound someone? Why would God tear someone? Only to heal them. It's soul surgery. Open heart surgery. What do they do? They take a glorified circular saw and they turn it on and they rip your sternum in half and they open you up. They cut you deeply so they can get to your heart, so they can fix your heart, so they can sew you back up, so you'll be healed. Allow Jesus to cut you. Hard heartedness is an umbrella. Calloused hearts are an umbrella. Getting used to what God is doing is an umbrella. Don't let your hearts grow hard to what God is doing. Revival always begins with repentance. It's a turning to God. So allow Jesus to convict you. Allow him to cut you. At the outpouring of Pentecost, Peter preaches the best news, Jesus is the Messiah. And the worst news, you killed him. You missed it. He was here and you missed it. Oh no. We have made a huge mistake. They're deeply, they're cut to the heart. They're grieved. We missed the Messiah. We mistreated him. We crucified him. What do we do? And Peter says this great famous verse, repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Two more lessons from Pentecost. One, be obedient to confession. This is a form of repentance. How do you know if you ever need to confess a sin to another trusted Christian? If you've confessed it to God, but then you go right back to it. You're still in bondage. There's some things you confess to God and boom, he sets you free. And you're free. You know you're free because you you're don't you not under that oppression of depression, suicidal thoughts, whatever it is, anxiety. You know you're free because you don't go back to that sin of pornography. You're free. You confess it. He, he did something. There was an exchange there. But a lot of times we confess to God and we're like, oh, he'll forgive me. And we justify in the darkness of our own hearts and we move on. And so if you find that you're really not free, you've been Asking God for forgiveness. It's time to talk to someone else about it. It's time to confess your sin to someone. Not everyone needs to know. But someone needs to know. And you can tell a pastor. You can tell a trusted mature Christian friend. If you have a counselor. A Christian counselor. You can talk to them about it. I say Christian. Because the person you're confessing to. Needs to know how to receive a confession. And very simply how to administer the grace of God. And pray for you. And restore you. James 5.16. We confess our sins to one another. And we will be healed it says. So be obedient to that. We've discovered in our experience as a church. I'll tell you this quick story. And maybe you'll get to hear the full story in more detail from the people who experienced it. But. Uh, one of our associate pastors, someone came to him and said, this was after last March, after the Holy Spirit poured out on us, and we got radically baptized in the Holy Spirit. And um, and he was, she, this uh, woman came up and said, pray for me. I want to receive everything you received. And he just goes, mm, no. <laughs> He's like, no, you won't receive it. He said, there's something blocking it. This is Matt Luke, by the way. And Matt has a feeling gift, and it's like a discerning of spirits or a discernment gift. And I'm sitting there going, oh gosh, Matt just told someone no. <laughs> like I'm not praying. I'm like, what is happening here? Right? He's like, no, you won't receive it. There's something blocking it. And this person was like, well, what is it? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I can just feel it. I can pray for you and God will pour out and you just won't receive any of it. like, what do I do? He's like, I don't know. Ask him what it is. And this person prayed and God showed them and they began to confess poured out a confession, fully, fully confessed what it was, and he goes, all right, he administered grace, then he prayed over her, and she fully received, and so there are things that can block God from you receiving all that God has for you, we're so quick to blame God for everything, We're so quick to criticize pastors who are going, God still baptizes people in the Holy Spirit. He still pours out. And then they pray over you and you go, didn't happen, see? God didn't do that anymore. Or maybe there's something in you that needs to shift. A surrender, a humility, a confession that needs to happen before you can receive. Because maybe that pride or that sin, maybe that's an umbrella that's blocking you from receiving what he has for you. Next lesson, be obedient to baptism in water. If you've never done that before, this is something Jesus tells all of us to do. And I know many people who've been filled with the Holy Spirit as they're coming up out of that water, right? So be obedient to that. It says, verse 40, with many other words, Peter warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the final lesson that I want to talk to you about today. Go with the flow. This is probably the most important one, I think. I mean, they're all important. But when God pours out in a mighty way, You need to go with the flow. So, scripture compares this to like a river. It's like a well. You dig the well, it bursts forth, springs up within you, overflowing to, becomes a river flowing to eternal life, right? So, the river starts flowing. Go with the flow. Look at your neighbor and tell him, go with the flow. Going with the flow is the new wineskin. Old wineskins are rigid, and the wine must adapt and be confined to what the wineskin is doing. This, hey, this is our routine. We go to church. This is what we do. Nothing ever happens, but we're faithful, devout, boring religious people. All right? It's what we do. And so we go home, and we, we make sure we're at Butterbee's uh, by the time the in-laws are getting there because they go somewhere else. right? That's the old, old wineskin. And hey, that's fine. In a season where God is not really pouring out or when it's not a, like a Pentecost revival season. But when God bursts forth a river and you get in that river, that river's gonna wanna sweep you away. And here's my advice. Throw away your oars. Blow up your little puffy arm floaties. All right, God, let's go. <laughs> and you just go wherever, go with the flow, man. I said, last, I'm going to preach the rest of my sermon like this. <laughs> I said last week, I talked about this post, that, you know, pastors, if you want revival throughout the program, throughout the routine and go after God. And, and I said, you know, before revival comes is not the time to do that. Routines are spiritual disciplines. These keep us in the presence of God. These are good things. But when revival comes, now is the time to be willing to change the routine. To steward what God is doing. And that's what I'm talking about. When God comes, when revival comes, Now we're going to change and adapt and go with the flow of what he's doing and not go, well, this isn't, well, we've never met at that time before. Well, I don't, the service is going really long now. Well, I don't know. Now we're meeting on multiple days a week. Well, now what are we doing? We've never done that before. We've never done it that way before. That service didn't even have music. We all just prayed. That service didn't even have prayers. This guy just preached the whole time. But man, if it's what God is doing. Let's go. <laughs> go with the flow. Go with the flow. So they went with the flow. God poured out. What did that look like? Acts two, forty-two through forty-seven. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. So temple courts is public meetings every day. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yeah, they were used to meeting once a week, too, on Sabbath. Go to synagogue. Let's hear the message. All right, go home. Meet the in-laws for lunch, all right? We're eating leftovers because it's Sabbath. We can't light a fire, right? That was their routine. But when God pours out, they're like, forget the routine. We're meeting every day. Let's hear another sermon. Let's sing some more songs. Let's have more prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is what? The teaching of Jesus. Jesus. To the fellowship, not just hanging out, but like we're in this together. Deep committed loving relationships, we're on mission together. The breaking of bread, we're eating meals together, we're remembering the Lord's Supper together, and to prayer, 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 prayer. Now what do you think they were doing in the upper room? What prepares us for revival is what sustains the revival. Because the disciples had been revived, (laughs) They're like, Jesus is here. He's told us to do this. And we don't know what's going on, but we're going to stay here and we're going we're to hang out. We're going to talk about his teaching and we're going to pray into it until this whole outpouring thing comes. And then we don't know what to do next. But hey, when the outpouring comes, guess what? We're doing what we've always done, right? We're being faithful to these things. We're stewarding what God is doing through more teaching, through more prayer, through the fellowship, through the breaking of bread. And this is how you steward the outpouring when it comes. Give all your attention and focus to it. Let the other things of life fill in around your focus on what God is doing. God spoke to me a word in 2020 that I didn't understand at the time. But it was while I was reading the book of Daniel and noticing how Daniel lived in Babylon. And the word was lifestyle of fasting, it's a lifestyle of fasting, and I knew what he meant by that, because I was noticing as I read that, you know, so often we'll do, like, I'm going to do a 10-day Daniel fast, I'm going to do a 21-day fast, Daniel didn't say, I'm going to do this for 10 days, he said, test us for 10 days, then he lived like that, why? In Babylon, an affluent, opulent, ungodly culture In order to not be dragged away and enticed by all these comforts and I'm in the palace and all the riches and all the entertainments of this kingdom, I need to purposely deny myself so I stay focused on God. And church, I believe that's what God is calling every single one of us to, a lifestyle of fasting. And it's a double meaning. I believe that it both means making fasting part of your regular weekly routine, but also a lifestyle of fasting in the sense that I even deny myself good things, not just food, but I mean like pleasures, entertainment, hobbies, things that They're like a drug. Fun, entertainment. It's like a drug in American culture. And we're rich enough, we're affluent enough, that we can feed ourselves this drug as often as we want. And of course it is a drug, so we only want more. And you can play that game for a while, but you will end up miserable. You will take everything the world has to offer and find it does not satisfy your soul. And I pray that that causes you to come to the end of yourself. And I pray that it opens your eyes to eternity. And I pray that you discover the prayer of Augustine that, man, my heart really is restless until it finds its rest in God. I pray that God ruins you for anything but himself so that you just quit caring about the things of the world. To where all you want to do is pray. All you want to do is sing his praise. All you want to do is share your faith. All you want to do is get in church and celebrate what God's doing through the week. Because in eternity, that, my friends, is all that will matter. And that's the journey God has had me on. And one of the things I battle all the time is there's a temptation in you to go, Yeah, but you're a pastor. It's like your job. I'm just telling you, God has ruined me. He's called me to a next level over the last few years. And there is a choice there. And I could coast. And it, my goodness, it would be so much easier to coast. To coast through the week, enjoy myself on all those things I just mentioned through the week, just like y'all do, roll up in here, and I can talk. I'll make you feel good. I'll start with something funny, pull you in, preach a sermon that coddles you, speaks to your felt needs, and end with a touching story that makes you tear up. And I could do that every week, and this church would grow, meaning more people would come. And then half of them will go to hell because they don't really know Jesus. And God has ruined me. He's made it impossible for me. In 2019, he asked me what I wanted. And that brought me to the end of myself. And I guess what I landed on was (laughs) intimate friendship with your Holy Spirit. And he has started to answer that. But when he answers that, now you know. You see, when you're tempted by the comforts of the world, you see the vanity in it. Because the Holy Spirit's letting you see it. Like, God, you're ruining my life. I can't enjoy anything. (laughs) Except you. Oh, wait, that's what I asked for. And so, man, I just needed to know, church, he's calling us to press in in this season. He demands our all, and he's worth it. And when we finally give it to him, Woo, buddy. He goes, and now I'm going to give you all I got. And there's an outpouring coming. And he had me saying that a year ago. And, man, I thought it was happening any moment. And I didn't realize he was going to prepare us. He's been preparing us. And I'm telling you, it's very near right at the door. And I don't want you to miss it. Let's pray. God, I just pray we'd put our umbrellas down. Maybe leave them here at the altar. Take them home and throw them in a closet. Maybe burn them. It always feels good to burn stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. (sighs) So even if we're resisting or if we have an umbrella we don't know about that we think is something else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I guess some people hold up their umbrellas and they think it's a shield of faith. And so if that's ever us, God, I just pray you would send lightning to fully consume our umbrellas and make those umbrellas that we think is a shield of faith a lightning rod and totally light us up and burn away our false security and anything that's not of you. Burn up our tradition and our religion and our offense towards your ways. Burn us up, God. Send your fire of judgment and discipline. Send it. We ask in Jesus' name to burn up the dross in us so that only pure gold, pure faith remains. Because we want to see your glory. We want to see you move. And it's not just about what we want to see. That is what the world needs. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. So make us into people of prayer and fasting and love and let us be people who exude the joy of it. And we love to do it because we spend time with you. I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.